0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Julia LaRoche Show. Our guest today is Dr. Burton Malkiel. He is the author of The Random Walk Down Wall Street book, which is one of those seminal books in the finance industry and the book that led to the creation of index investing. And today, more than half of the market is indexed. In this episode, Dr. Malkiel explains why you're never going to be smarter than the market and why it's useless to try to even predict where the market's headed or the economy for that matter. In this episode, we also talk about why it's important to stay invested for the long run despite what may come. It's important to always stay the course. I really enjoyed this episode with Dr. Malkiel. I learned so much from him and I know you will too. Dr. Burton Malkiel, the Chemical Bank Chairman's Professor of Economics Emeritus at Princeton University, and the author of the absolute must-read book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street. It is such an honor to welcome you on the show, Dr. Maciel. Thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: I'm delighted to be here.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you, and you are an absolute legend. And your book, which just celebrated its 50th year in print last year, is One of those seminal books in finance that is a must read. And I remember when I was asking around for books to read early in my career as a financial journalist, that was one of the top recommendations. So I'm so excited to have you on. Um, And I do want to discuss the book. And maybe a place to start, Dr. Maciel, is what was it that made you want to write a random walk down Wall Street just over 50 years ago? What was the genesis of the book for you?
1: Well, I uh, was very skeptical 50 years ago uh, about how good active management was. Uh, I knew there were a lot of active managers who said they were great stock pickers. And there was no question about the fact that they could pick a portfolio that would beat the market. And that was the whole thing. Beating the market was very easy when you were a Wall Street genius. Now, I started my career uh, working on Wall Street. Uh, I worked uh, uh, for Smith Barney uh, for some time, which was actually one of the top research firms on Wall Street. And I just became very skeptical that the emperor really had any clothes. Could they, in fact, do it? And uh, I uh, was putting together some... uh, statistics, and uh, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not at all sure uh, that uh, uh, that's going to work. And I'm not at all sure that they can do it. And I became, uh, I, I sort of have been in the business world and the academic world throughout my life. But as I became an academic, and started uh, to do research myself, I came to the conclusion that, you know, what the best thing might be was to simply buy and hold an index fund that held all the stocks in the market and that these people on Wall Street uh, who said they could beat the market uh, really couldn't do it. And so the sort of genesis of this was being very suspicious uh, of uh, what then went for received wisdom. And I wrote the book 50 years ago. uh, And basically the thesis of the book was that a blindfolded chimpanzee throwing darts at the Wall Street Journal. And in those days, uh, you know, we didn't have the computers, so that we actually looked at the actual newspaper uh, to get our quotes uh, from the day. Uh, so the, the image was the monkey throwing darts at the Wall Street Journal could select a portfolio uh, that would do as well as the experts. Now, I di- didn't literally mean you should throw darts. Perhaps the right analogy was to throw a towel over the, uh, the stock pages and just buy everything. So that was the genesis of the book, uh, 50 years ago. Uh, and uh, the reaction was, this is about the stupidest idea that you can possibly imagine. Uh, a professional reviewed my book in Business Week and said this was just a piece of garbage, That uh, uh, it was uh, absolutely uh, crazy. And in fact, when three years later, Jack Bogle at Vanguard started the, uh, what was actually the first index fund, uh, it was a disaster. The IPO was supposed to be $250 million, uh, and then uh, the bankers said, well, let's downsize it to $150. Uh, when they finally, uh, finally closed the books, uh, $11 million was sold. And the uh, uh, fund, the first index fund, uh, stayed at uh, uh, under twenty-five million for years. Uh, It was a it was a total failure. It was called Bogle's folly, Mm -hmm. and uh, that was the sort of genesis of the idea. And in doing the fiftieth anniversary edition, uh, I've sort of looked back at that history. And was sort of pleased to find that, you know, it was actually right. Because uh, what we see now today, Standard & Poor's does uh, a wonderful study twice a year. It's called a SPIVA study where they uh, compare Standard & Poor's indices uh, with active managers. And every year... Two-thirds of the active managers are beaten by a simple index, and the one-third that win in one year are not the same as the one-third that win in the next year, so that when you compound it over 10 and 20 years, what they find, and it's a consistent finding, that 90% uh, plus of active managers do worse than the index. So, look, I'm not saying it isn't possible to beat the index. Uh, There are some Warren Buffetts uh, uh, of the world, uh, although even Warren Buffett over the last uh, 10, 15 years has not beaten the market. But, look, it's possible. But if you try to go active, you're much more likely to be in the bottom of the distribution, in the 90% rather than the 10%. And so the wisest thing for investors to do is just keep putting their money into a broad-based index fund. Uh, Don't think you're too so smart that you can beat the market because you probably can't. Uh, And uh, don't think you can time the market because I'm sure you can't. Uh, And this is the way uh, to build a retirement fund and for anybody to build uh, wealth uh, uh, in the market today. And I'm just pleased to say that I believe in the thesis that uh, I advanced 50 years ago even more today uh, than I did even then.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what a great frame-up to the conversation. And you mentioned, um, you know, just what was it three years later after the book um Jack Bogle starting the first index fund and they had trouble raising I, I have a quick question for you did you invest in that first index fund and I think uh, also- as
1: a matter of fact I did I used to joke with I I was a, also a director of the Vanguard uh his uh, family of funds for 28 years so uh, I knew Jack well and I used to joke with him that he and I were the only investors in the fund <laughs> that's Of that, uh, of that eleven million that uh, they started. uh, uh, Not that I had much money at that time, uh, uh, but uh, uh, we were both uh, uh, the early investors in the fund. So Mm -hmm. absolutely.
0: And I'm like, look (laughs) at.
1: you keep my own cooking.
0: I love that. Well also I noticed in the book too um in the 50th uh, anniversary edition you wrote an investor with 10,000 to invest at the start of 1977 um when the first index was available would have a portfolio worth north of 2 million um $2, at the start of 2022 assuming all dividends were reinvested and an investor who purchased shares in an actively managed mutual fund with this with the same Investment would have seen it grow to um, 1477033 So you can see that the index fund handily beat if you were to do the actively managed mutual.
1: And no, that's absolutely right. And the other thing that has actually pleased me uh, about the uh, book uh, are the number of people who have written me and said, uh, uh you know, I never had a lot of money, I never earned a lot of money, but I put a little money into uh, an index fund, as you suggested, every pay period, Uh, and uh, uh, I'm now having a comfortable retirement, and I want to thank you. And I think that's what probably pleases me uh, more than anything else, that, you know, in this world where Uh, uh, You know, there's sort of a lot of uh, uh, complaint about the uh, uh, unequal distribution of wealth. Uh, What's just amazing is that uh, if you could just save $23 uh, a week uh, so, uh, you know, one day a week that you used to, you used to go many days a week to Starbucks for uh, a latte and a sausage uh, roll. Uh, put it aside, uh, you know, have coffee at home or in the office. Uh, might not taste as good. Uh, and just put that aside, put it in an index fund. And if you do this regularly, that, it, and started that in, in 77, uh, when the first index fund was available, uh, that again, you would have uh, uh, something like a million and a half dollars plus uh, today. So it is possible, uh, even for people of the most modest means, to build uh, a, uh, uh, a sizable retirement portfolio. You know, one of my favorite books, uh, uh, there's a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Mm -hmm. uh, And um, uh, the authors actually uh, interviewed uh, uh, millionaires. And it wasn't uh, that, uh, uh, oh, the only millionaires are ones who were born with the silver spoon and and a big trust fund. uh, uh, But those who were... uh, Saving regularly uh, and investing in the stock market, uh, uh, it really is possible. Uh, And, uh, uh, you know, hopefully uh, my book has uh, helped put people on the right path uh, to having financial security.
0: Mm-hmm. Um you know even going back to the reception of the book and you mentioned that it was criticized it was trashed in the pages of of Business Week yeah you wrote that on Wall Street the term random walk is an obscenity it's an epithet coined by the academic world and hurled insultingly at the professional soothsayers taken to its logical extreme it means that a blindfolded monkey throwing darts at the stock listings, could select a portfolio that could that would do as well as one of the select one selected by the experts. So, my question to you is: When did that start to shift the criticism of it? Or, I mean, maybe are folks still kind of of the mindset that they are, you know, I, I guess a genius and can certainly beat the market today? I am curious about that. Like, when the reception started to shift and change?
1: I think it started <clears throat> to shift. Because the evidence rolled in. Uh, I would say the first uh, 20 years uh, uh, of the the book uh, uh, and the uh, index funds that were uh, pioneered by Vanguard uh, as a commercial success, uh, uh, neither was uh, very popular. But as the evidence rolled in, uh, I think people just got the clue that look the fact of the matter is that this is the way to invest and i think i want to give standard and Poor's a lot of credit because uh, there's a lot of publicity given to their so-called spiva reports standard and Poor's versus the uh, indices versus uh, uh, active uh, management uh, and people realized that look it's not just uh, a crazy academic idea it actually works and one of the reasons it works uh is that you know it, the paradox is it's not that uh, uh wall street people are stupid they're not stupid at all they're some of the smartest people i've ever known have worked on wall street but the the paradox is that because there are so many smart people uh, looking at every individual stock, uh, doing the research that they do, and much of it is very, very good, doing that research, that the price in the market basically reflects all of that information. And uh, uh, what people were able to do uh, a, a generation or two ago where they would go and uh, travel, the security analyst would travel around uh, and talk to management and get inside information, uh, get these tips and then be able to pick the right stocks. You can't do that anymore. Uh, the uh, SEC with its fair disclosure requirements, as one Wall Street analyst correctly put it, It means no disclosure because if 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 a company has got some really big information they can't tell the one select analyst they have to put it out in the public and so information gets reflected very quickly into stock prices and it's harder and harder over time uh to uh, get an edge the second thing is that look uh, Wall Street might not be uh, the oldest profession, but it certainly is one of the highest uh, paid. And the fees for buying an actively managed fund might be—it sounds low, one percent a year—but you can now buy an index fund for three, two, or three basis points. A basis point being one one hundredth of one percent. So essentially for zero fee and uh, that's a huge difference that if you can get a portfolio and pay zero versus paying one percent or sometimes even two percent a year that's one of the reasons why you're bound to outperform you know one of the things i like to say is it's very important to be modest about what you know and don't know about markets and the only thing I am absolutely sure about is that the lower I fee, the lower the fee I pay to the purveyor of an investment service, the more there's going to be for me. Uh, and my friend Jack Bogle actually put it even. Uh, 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 it's my favorite quote of his uh, uh, in the investment business: "You get what you don't pay for." And so today more than half of investment funds are uh indexed. Uh who are the who are the main money managers uh in the world today? Uh number 1 is BlackRock. Uh and what are BlackRock's funds? BlackRock has uh uh the uh not a monopoly, but they've got uh Uh, most of the money that are in index funds and exchange-traded funds. And number two is Vanguard, uh, who pioneered uh, these index funds. So the fact of the matter is that the market finally has caught up to the idea that it is not a silly academic idea. It actually works. And uh, the core of every investment portfolio Uh, be it for an individual or even an institution now, uh, people realize uh, ought to be indexed.
0: Hey there, I hope that you are enjoying listening to this episode. If you can, please take a moment to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you could leave us a rating and a review, it would help us so much in continuing to grow the show and bringing some incredible guests for these longer form discussions. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Speaking of Jack Bogle, didn't you two disagree on exchange traded funds? Am I recalling? No, yeah, we correctly? did.
1: That was actually one of the few things that Jack and I would fight about uh, all the time uh, that uh, uh, I thought. Uh, uh, this was uh, absolutely a, a great idea, and it would be a great idea when I was a, a board member of Vanguard because uh, Vanguard didn't advertise. Their idea was the lowest fees in the industry. That was what the, the, the mantra uh, of, uh, of Vanguard. And so most mutual funds so-called pay for distribution, if you've got an actively managed fund and you want a broker to sell it, you say, uh, look, uh, if you sell this fund, we'll give you an extra little uh, commission. So Vanguard wouldn't do that. And so you had to uh, you know, buy Vanguard through word of mouth uh, uh, because a friend recommended it. Uh, there was no advertising. And this way if you had an exchange traded Vanguard fund, then all the brokers could sell it and you didn't have to pay them anything. The broker would sell it, charge a commission if the broker wanted, but this was a way for Vanguard to actually grow. So Jack's view was that exchange traded funds were the instrument of the devil. Uh, And the reason he thought it was that basically the uh, exchange traded fund uh, simply uh, means uh, that you can go and buy and sell uh, and you'll kill yourself as you try to buy and sell because you'd always buy at the wrong time and sell at the wrong time. And I remember uh, when Jack and I would have an argument, Jack would say, Who in their right mind would want to buy a market fund at 10 o'clock in the morning and then sell it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? And that's what exchange-traded funds will have you do. It's terrible. People will cut their throats on it. I want nothing to do with it. Uh, And uh, that was why uh, until uh, uh, a new CEO (laughs) came to Vanguard, Vanguard didn't have uh, exchange-traded funds and it's one of the reasons why blackrock is number 1 today rather than vanguard which really invented the whole thing and why they're only number 2 mm. although in terms of fund flows more money is going to vanguard today than is going to blackrock and you know sometimes when i think of uh, jack who uh, you know i disagreed with him on this but uh, so it's just a a, a wonderful person i know often think today Jack would roll over in his grave if he knew uh, that the SEC had just uh, uh, allowed a spot ETF on Bitcoin. Uh, I I could just, uh, I mean, he would be just so livid that we were having people go and buy and sell that and uh, uh, something, uh, currency that Goes up a thousand dollars one day and down a thousand dollars.
0: Okay, I take it then, Dr. Mackeyal, you have an opinion on Bitcoin with the recent spot ETF news. What's your take?
1: Uh, look, uh, if uh, I uh, want to have a currency, uh, and um, uh, I want to. Uh, 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 I want to buy uh, uh, a cup of coffee at Starbucks. I don't want a. Cu- I don't want a currency that can go up or uh, uh, down ten percent uh, uh, in value in um, uh, uh, in the matter of uh, days. This is not a useful. Uh, this is not a useful currency. Now I'm not saying. Uh, there aren't some uses for it, but when I think of the uses that there are for it, uh, uh, and, and there are, uh, I think this is what will eventually be Bitcoin's uh, downfall. The uses for it would be that if I wanted to go out and buy illegal drugs, then I probably would like to use Bitcoin. I would like to hide my purchase. Uh, uh, I don't want to do it with my credit card where people find out what I'm doing. And if I wanted to uh, get some money from uh, ransomware, uh, I don't want them to wire it to my bank account. Uh, I probably want to have it in Bitcoin. And it's, its use in illegal transactions and in hiding money uh, from authorities is exactly why uh, uh, you're going to see the government's taking uh greater and greater efforts uh to break the secrecy uh and uh uh, to limit uh, the uh, uh uh legality of the transactions i think eventually uh to the extent that this is used for more and more illegal transactions yep that is a use uh, but uh, uh, I'm not sure that that's a long-term asset that I want to have in my portfolio
0: you, you know um in the book you also write about bubbles and and um, over the, over the years and the history of bubbles do you think that one do you think Bitcoin could also be a bubble?
1: absolutely uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, uh, when you have something that can be 60,000, uh, can be 20,000, uh, uh, can be as it is now around 40,000, uh, uh, this, uh, is a little bit, uh, very uh, bubbly in my view. It's, uh, like a, the so called meme stocks that we had a year or two ago where, uh, uh GameStop uh, uh who sold video games through stores even though uh, they were all being bought online uh, uh because uh, the Reddit crowd uh, decided that this was going to be a great uh, uh investment I think this is a very good way for people uh to lose <laughs> a lot of money and uh i've got no objection to gambling uh i uh, uh like to go to the horse races myself uh uh i uh, like to sit at the blackjack table from time to time but uh i do this with uh, uh very limited funds and know this is entertainment this is not investment mm-hmm.
0: okay i want to ask another question for you and it's a topic it has come up on this show, and I've seen it come up over the years, and you might be the right person to address it or debunk this. There have been folks who've said over the years that they think that ETFs, um, that they distort financial markets, and that there could be a passive investing bubble, I guess, um, driven by ETFs. Have you heard this argument? And if you have, uh, could you debunk it?
1: No, absolutely. Uh, the the the, the paradox of, uh, uh, of indexing, of the idea that markets are efficient, uh, is that uh, you really need active managers to make sure that information gets reflected properly. If a drug company comes up with... Uh, a cure for a type of cancer that, where there was no cure. And the drug company was selling at $20 a share and it really ought to be selling at $40 a share. Well, it, unless some active investor comes into the market to buy that stock and push it up to the price that it ought to be, markets will be inefficient and, uh, and markets won't work well. So you do need some of these active people. You do need active traders to make sure that information gets reflected properly into the market. Now, more, a little over half of the market is indexed now. So only half of the market has active managers. And some people are saying, oh, oh no, no, there aren't enough active managers. If the market were 95% indexed and there were only 5% active managers, that would be enough to get the information in. As long as we are in a free market and a capitalist system where people can enter the market it's inconceivable to me that there won't be enough active managers to make the market efficient, to make sure that information gets reflected. And that'll be true if 50% is indexed, 75%, 90 or 95% is indexed. But look, just for the sake of argument, suppose we were 100% indexed, there were uh, active managers, uh, Went the way of the dinosaur. There were none of them around, and we have this drug company selling at twenty dollars a share, and I'm just an individual uh, uh, around, and uh, I say, hey, this really ought to be worth double what it is. It's inconceivable to me that, as long as we have a free market, that there isn't somebody who's going to go out and say hey, I'm going to buy this stuff. I'm going to buy it until it's 25. I'm going to buy it until it's 30. I'm going to tell my friends. It's inconceivable to me that in a capitalist system where people are incented by profits to go and make sure that information gets reflected, that I'm not going to worry even when indexing is 75% and I think it may well be at some point or even higher, there'll always be somebody who's incented to do the research and to go into the market and find anything where the price does not reflect the true information. So no, I'm not worried. I think that's... uh, uh, I I think that's a bugaboo, and I think uh, you know. Let me tell you the other thing. Uh, t- that today, uh, th- this is the sort of argument. Uh, because of indexing, the market is much too narrow, and the Magnificent Seven are responsible for three quarters of the increase uh, uh, in the indexes. And this is terrible. It's all because of indexing. Uh, And uh, these terrible... uh, uh, This has made the market very inefficient. Look, it may very well be that some of the magnificent seven uh, are overpriced. But it may also be that the market's actually quite right uh, that we have... uh, uh, a uh, a technology change uh artificial intelligence that will be as important if not more important than the internet itself was uh and that these are the correct prices the one thing about an indexer is i don't have to t- don't ask me whether google is too high or too low or microsoft is too high or too low i'm gonna buy everything and uh you guys should go and bet one way or another. I am sure you're going to be wrong just as often as you're right. So I'm not worried about indexing, uh, making uh, the magnificent seven too magnificent, uh, or that they're going to uh, make the market inefficient. There'll always be somebody in a capitalist system uh, who will be around uh, uh as long as there's a profit and opportunity somebody's going to seize it mm-hmm.
0: and you were mentioning efficient markets and uh, the efficient market hypothesis and can we explore that and what folks get wrong about that it gets brought up in the media yeah. and i know i'm a former it member of the press wrong it gets yeah media. so we get it wrong um so can you just kind of help us understand sure. the the hypothesis what the and what we get
1: wrong market hypothesis means that uh information gets recorded into stock prices so that uh, uh, if there's the cure for cancer, if there is uh, uh, a uh, a new clean source of uh, energy that a company has that's going to be a big winner, it'll get reflected uh, in the prices. What people get wrong is they say, that that means that prices of stocks are always correct. It doesn't mean that. In fact, prices of stocks are always wrong. What it says is they're always wrong, but nobody knows whether they're too high or too low, and the market gets it right more often than any active manager or anybody uh, who thinks they are smarter than the market. So it doesn't mean the prices are always right. And it doesn't mean that there can't be bubbles. There can be bubbles, but you can never time them. You can never know when you only know you are in the bubble after it's popped. And let me give you an an example. The person who coined the term irrational exuberance mm-hmm. was Alan Greenspan. And uh, we did have a bubble in internet stocks that crashed in the in early 2000. And Alan Greenspan is often uh, the guy who is credited with, he saw it, he understood it, called it irrational exuberance. What people forget is that Alan Greenspan made that irrational exuberance speech in 1996. If you had bought the day after Alan Greenspan's irrational exuberance speech and just held through today, you would have done beautifully because the market went up for the next four years. So it doesn't mean that there wasn't a bubble, that it wasn't wrong. Sure, it was wrong, but nobody knew the time that it was going to uh, break. And uh, the Alan Greenspans of the world, who labeled it irrational exuberance, labeled it that way in advance, uh, and uh, you couldn't have made any money uh, by acting on it. Now, let's talk about the meme stocks. Hedge funds, what they try to do uh, is uh, they try to look for those kinds of bubbles and they want to short the stocks. They'll sell them short so that they can buy them back later. And so when the meme stocks were going crazy, it was a bubble, absolutely. Market was crazy. It wasn't bright. But remember, one of the hedge funds that went bankrupt uh, betting against the memes, uh, uh, betting against the meme stocks because as the mantra of the hedge funds uh, uh, is, the market can stay irrational longer than we can stay solvent. So efficient markets means that you're not going to be smarter than the information gets recorded. You're not going to be smarter than the market. The market's not always going to be right. It's always going to be wrong. Sometimes it's going to be spectacularly wrong. But don't think that you're smart enough to know when those periods are. And if you start betting against it, you're going to be wrong more often than you're right.
0: This is so great. I'm learning so much from you, Dr. Malkiel. Um, Let me ask you this, because... I come from the world of um financial media and there's always always discussion of like what's your take on the market where markets are headed and even the economy and in, in the macro picture can we get your take there and it sounds like maybe that does that doesn't even matter the commentary around that and or, or no one can actually well, it matters, i just to hear your
1: but nobody yeah. knows but nobody can do it i mm-hmm. i have no idea where the market's going uh Uh, today, next week, uh, next month, uh, uh, next year. I do believe in the United States of America. I do believe in our dynamic economy. I think in the long run, this is a good place to invest. But where the market's going to go next week or next month, I have no idea. Economists don't know where the uh, economy is going. If you want uh, an example of this, uh, as I'm sure you know, the uh, governors of the uh, Federal Reserve or central bank, uh, when they meet, uh, the governors are always asked for their forecasts of where's the economy going to be the next month, uh, the next year, where are interest rates going to be. And these are called their dot plots because they are actually putting their forecasts down well look at them over the last several years they've been completely wrong uh completely wrong on uh, uh whether uh, a year ago everyone was talking about we're going to have a, a deep recession uh and now we're having a soft landing we're having a no landing uh, or we, we really are going to have a recession it's just been put off Nobody can do this. Professionals can't do this. So it's useless to try. And I'm a big buy and hold believer because you'll never get it right. You'll never get the economy right. You'll never get where interest rates are going right. So the best thing to do is to just buy and hold for the long run and do something for people accumulating a retirement account Keep going, just regularly save, and you will take an advantage of dollar cost averaging because the beauty of just putting money in regularly is when you have these downdrafts in the market, and they will come, undoubtedly we'll have them in the future. But when you're putting a regular amount of money in, you're able to buy more shares of your stocks and etfs when the market is down and the beauty of this dollar cost averaging is that the average of the uh, securities that you own will be the average price will be less than the average of the prices at which you bought because you're buying more shares when the price is lower than when the price is higher and this is a great way for people uh, to uh, uh, invest. Just ignore all the. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say. <laughs> I'm not trying to dissuade uh, people from uh, you know good financial uh, uh, writing uh, and uh, good financial commentary. I'm a consumer myself. But don't think that uh, any of those predictions should be acted on.
0: Mm-hmm. So do do you not even you don't even try to like prognosticate because it's it's pretty much useless.
1: I uh, not about where the stock market is going, uh, and frankly, uh, uh, not about uh, uh, where uh, the economy uh, is uh, is going. Uh, I think one does have to have some long-run view uh, uh, about the uh, strength uh, of uh, uh, of an economy uh, and a strength uh, of a capitalist system, which I uh, absolutely uh, uh, believe in, and I think that uh, Uh, capitalism can be the greatest creator of uh, wealth uh, uh, than any other system in the world. Uh, I think maybe that's a prediction that I'm willing to make because uh, uh, I wouldn't want to be a long-run investor in the stock market if I didn't believe it. But should I ignore someone who tells me we're going to have a recession later in 2024 Uh, Should I ignore someone who tells me that interest rates are going to go down to uh, 1% or 2% by the end of the year? Yes, I think that I want to ignore because those are predictions that I think are going to get me in trouble rather than be helpful.
0: I want to bring up a a topic with you just um, around retirement. And do you think like... I mean, maybe I'm just focused here in the U.S. Are we even prepared for retirement, or do you think we have we're going to eventually face some sort of retirement crisis with people not being ready or
1: running um, out? Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, most people are entering retirement being completely unprepared for it, and this is one of the reasons why uh, I do think uh, that. Uh, uh, it's extremely important uh, uh, for people to save uh, and invest. And uh, uh, this is where I think uh, financial programs like yours can be extremely helpful because we are unprepared. Uh, we uh, And how easy it is uh, by just foregoing that latte once a week. Uh, uh, for most people to become prepared. And one of the reasons that I wrote the, uh, uh, wrote the book is hoping that people would read it and people would do the right thing uh, to start saving and investing uh, so that they would be prepared. But half the people in this country are going into retirement with nothing but social security. And I think that is very, very bad. And uh, people are going to have a less healthy and happy retirement because of it. so i do uh, I do think uh, it is a serious problem, and it's a problem uh, that can be uh, remedied. Uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, the advice that uh, I've uh, given, Uh, will help people cope with it. Uh, It's also the case that uh, uh, Social Security itself uh, is likely to be in, actuarially, uh, it will be in uh, serious trouble uh, within the next uh, decade. uh, And uh, something clearly has to be done uh, with uh, uh, Social Security and uh, unfortunately our uh, uh, politicians are uh, uh, not likely uh, this is a presidential year and I don't think you're going to uh, hear anybody uh, uh, offering suggestions of how we can shore up the social security system so uh, is that heading to a crisis yep Uh, and uh, Unfortunately, we'll probably only fix it when it's much nearer to a crisis uh, because I don't expect uh, uh, any uh, action over the near term. But I think you put your finger on what is a serious problem. Uh, We are, in general, uh, not prepared, and we're living longer. Uh, And so uh, uh, what... uh, uh, we're in a situation now where maybe 10% of the babies born today are likely to live to 100, and uh, uh, boy, uh, uh, that means the amount uh, of resources that one needs uh, over many, many years of retirement is very important. But you know, when Social Security started, uh, uh, people lived for a year or two. Uh, Mm -hmm. collecting Social Security. Uh, Now they live for decades uh, collecting it. So, yes, it is a serious problem. And one way uh, to help solve the, quote, retirement crisis is for people to uh, start uh, saving modest amounts uh, each week, each month, regularly putting it into a broad-based index fund and uh, having a nest egg uh, when they're ready to retire uh, that will serve them very very well Mm
0: -hmm. Dr. Malkiel would you be willing to share your own story and background and um, you know even going back to to growing up and also like you you mentioned earlier in the conversation when it comes to indexing you eat your own cooking. and you were one of those first investors um with Jack Bogle in Vanguard's first index fund but um your background and uh how you Well became my an own economist. Background
1: was I grew up in a tenement house in uh, uh, uh Roxbury uh, section of Boston and uh I had I didn't start investing uh, as a kid, because I had no money. Uh, but uh, uh, I did eat my own cooking. I uh, uh, did uh, start, when I uh, had a salary, even a, the first uh, job of putting uh, uh, small amounts of money uh, aside uh, uh, and uh, uh, and investing, and uh, I, I did uh, Uh, have uh, and do have a retirement portfolio now that was invested in broad-based index funds. So uh, uh, I think I'm certainly one example of uh, somebody uh, who is now living very comfortably and I'm going to put retirement in quotes since I uh, still am active. doing a number of uh, boards and committees, but uh, uh, certainly with a retirement portfolio uh, that allows for uh, a a quite comfortable living. But it can be done, uh, and uh, uh, I am personally an example of uh, someone who was able to do it.
0: Yes, well, I have to say, Dr. Malkiel, I have enjoyed getting to talk to you and learn from you. I feel like I've gotten to be a student for this hour and just learning so much from you. I want to give you the last few minutes to let folks know where they can um, pick up your book or read any of your work, anything that you want to plug on your side. And also, let's leave the folks with some parting thoughts, maybe something that we didn't bring up in this conversation, or even if you want to go back and reinforce something, with the audience, please take the next few minutes to do so.
1: Sure. Look, uh, I, I am uh, uh, absolutely uh, convinced that uh, you shouldn't think that investing is just much too complicated for you. Uh, it's much too esoteric uh, Uh, I really need an expert to be able to tell me what to do. You can very, very easily do this yourself. And uh, uh, the clue is uh, uh, invest in the growth of the U.S. and even the world economy uh, by uh, buying index funds. Uh, They're easy to get. You could go to a discount broker, and you can buy at no commission, an exchange-traded index fund. Uh, uh, I've listed a number of them uh, in my book, and so my sort of first uh, uh, thought uh, to tell people is, when you're in your 20s and 30s you think you will never get old you will never have to uh, 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 rely on uh, uh, retirement savings Uh, uh, the world uh, 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 the time passes and passes much more quickly than uh, in some cases one might uh, might like so start putting uh, a little aside Uh, you don't need experts Uh, you can get a hold of my book which lists the exact uh, low-cost etfs uh, that would work uh, and uh, uh, how you can go and uh, uh, and buy them and uh, uh, don't get carried away in uh, uh, thinking that you need a high priced expert uh, uh, to tell you uh, how to do it. And so I think the sort of lessons would be start saving and investing regularly in uh, index funds and avoid mistakes. Uh, and uh, uh, people just shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, uh, they think, uh, no, I don't want to buy some boring uh, index fund of stocks. Uh, uh, I want uh, to buy GameStop, or I want to buy American movie theaters, which is one of the other meme stocks that was going crazy, even though we had a COVID epidemic and nobody was going into movie theaters. Don't try to think that you can do uh Uh, that and do that better than uh, uh, anybody else. And don't panic when uh, there are crises. Uh, uh, I like to tell the story. uh, uh, I had become the kind of uh, uh, informal advisor to uh, a lot of widows at my university who would come to me for advice And I remember uh, at one point uh, uh, this woman who came into my office in tears during the financial crisis of uh, uh, 2008 when it looked like the world was coming apart. And she said, I've got to go and sell all of my stocks because they had just gone down uh, 20% in the last month. And I can't take it. I can't sleep at night. uh stay the course uh, uh we're gonna have an i don't know what it will be but we will have another uh crisis uh we will have a recession at some point i don't know when it is uh uh we uh, could have uh i mean the the world situation is so precarious now we could have a wider war uh Whatever it is, there will be those crises, and just uh, in the long run, we are going to get through. Uh, And suppose I'm wrong. Suppose that Armageddon comes. Suppose, in fact, we have a worldwide nuclear war that is threatening to destroy the planet. Well, let me tell you, worrying about your investments will be the last thing on your list. Uh, Just stay the course uh, and you'll be okay.
0: I think that's a wonderful place to end. Dr. Burton Malkiel, author of the Random Walk Down Wall Street book. It has been an absolute honor having you on. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time, your ideas, all of your wisdom. I really appreciate you, Dr. Malkiel.
1: I really thank you so much, and I thank you for all the great questions. Uh, You're terrific. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. You are so wonderful.